Father, we come before you broken and in need of you. We pray that this message would speak into our hearts, speak into our minds, speak to our souls. We are broken and we need to be restored to you. Help us to figure out what that looks like. How are we brought back into good graces with you, God? Pray that you would direct my words, you would direct people's hearts, so that way we can be restored to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, some of you guys know that I am a teacher, and all teachers love to give pop quizzes. So, Cornerstone, pop quiz. Who wrote Acts? Luke. I love the hand as well. Well done. Well done. In here, it's okay to call out. Not in, not, in your, not in your regular classroom. Please don't do that. Yeah, Luke, absolutely. He wrote another book, didn't he? What was that book called? Yeah, absolutely. Good. Can't get anything past you guys. Well done. Now, those two books, they go together, all right? Like ham and cheese, peanut butter and jelly. I don't know why I'm talking about sandwiches. Um, but they go together, all right? He says in Acts 1, Luke says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So if we are going to go through and we're going to read Acts, we need to remember what we have learned in Luke. All right? He's saying in the first book, so don't go through Acts unless you know about the person I was talking about, Jesus. Do you know about him? Fantastic. Let's continue. Let's continue with the story. In Luke 22, 70 through 71, It's not up on the screen. So they all said, are you the son of God then? These are the Pharisees that are attempting to trap Jesus. Are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you are right in saying I am. We learn Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come to restore our relationship with God. Then we read how Jesus was sent to a cross for crimes he did not commit And then we read in Luke 24, 46 through 47, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Praise God. Jesus defeated death. And that is what he does for us. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Luke explained through Jesus' words that we are lost. We are incapable of having a relationship with God unless we trust in Jesus to forgive us our wrongdoings. So we are jumping into Acts to see repentance for the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to Jerusalem. Let's go ahead. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts 3. A little bit of a background for you as you're getting there. So we have Peter and John. They are heading to a temple for prayer in the morning. They see a lame man who has been crippled from birth. He had always been laid by the beautiful gate. He'd always been there. For most of his life, he was laid there asking for alms, food, money. Peter sees him, walks up to him and says, I don't have any money to give you, 
what I do give you in the name of Christ, get up and walk. Reaches out his hand, he pulls him up, his feet are well, his ankles become well, he's able to stand on his own two feet for the first time in his life. And immediately, he begins jumping and praising God. This is absolutely astounding. This is something that Jesus did, and we read about Jesus doing. Now we see an apostle doing this with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only through God that he could do this. It is not by his own power. So, someone's miraculously healed. The people that are in that temple, they've been going by him. They know who that is. And they see, they start scratching their heads. Wait, weren't you just outside not too long ago? And you couldn't walk then. And you haven't been able to walk for years that I've been coming here. So what happens? He gets a crowd. He's able to get a crowd. And then Peter speaks to the crowd. He denies that he himself did this, but that it was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. He is speaking to Jewish people in this context. And so what does Peter do next? He starts to lay on guilt. He starts to lay it on. He says, you delivered Jesus over to die. You asked for a murderer to be given over instead of Jesus. Pop quiz, who was the murderer? Barabbas, well done. He also said, you killed the author of life. You acted in ignorance. This is Jerusalem that he's speaking to. And after laying on all of that guilt, here comes the good news. Acts 3.18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Christ is the one that satisfies all of the prophecies that are in the Old Testament. These are Jewish people. They're familiar. They know that there is this person coming to restore Jerusalem, to restore Israel. They know that there's this person coming. And here is Peter now claiming, guess what? He came. He conquered death. And then we reach our action step. What is it we are supposed to do now? So now we arrive at our passage. Let's go through it again. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What I want you to know is how we are restored. What is it that we have to do in order to be restored in relationship with God? So, Peter outlines three things. Three things. He communicates that you should repent, you should turn back to God, and you should look forward. Repent. Turn back to God and look forward. 
So, before we jump into repentance, we should probably have a decent definition to work off of. So this definition comes from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. A lot of people think, oh, repentance is just, I need to feel bad for something. I need to feel bad for what I did. Some people think repentance is just, oh, let me just say a quick prayer and then I'm going to go on my life and it's okay if I continue sinning. No, repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. We need to hate sin. We need to feel sorrow for it. That is what's separating us from God. And then a renouncing of it, push it away. You flee from it now. And a sincere commitment to walk in obedience in Christ. So how can we do that? How can we meet this? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge our sin. Next thing we need to do is confess our sin. And the next thing we need to do is move forward. So acknowledge our sin. Acknowledging sin means that we ourselves, we can't cover over it, all right? Any shortcomings that we have, we can't cover it. There must be some way that God gives us righteousness because we can't cover it. You think back, Peter's speaking to the Jews. What are ways that they were covering up their sin? They were covering it up with sacrifices, ceremonial washings, offerings, all of that is worthless. That is not what saves them. What it's doing, those are shadows that are pointing to a Messiah that would come and wipe this away. So what does it mean for us? What are the ways we try to please God and earn our salvation? So we try to do under our own power. We try to pray more. We try to do more. Working through sin is hard. There should be some sort of guilt because that is what's breaking us apart from God. There's going to be that guilt. There's going to be that pain. It's difficult to work through. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's first theologians, and for my wife, was a big Hamilton music fan. This is uh, Aaron Burr's grandfather. Aaron Burr's grandfather. My grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher, preacher, preacher. This is what he says. Your wickedness makes you as if it were as heavy as lead and tend downwards with a great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and your best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. He was a fire and brimstone preacher. Preacher, preacher. When I was younger, I would go out camping. All right, I was in scouts. 
I come out of our tent in the morning, nice cool air, dews all around the ground. You look up, you see a bunch of trees. And what else do you see? Spiders' webs everywhere, scattered about. I go down and pick up a rock. I toss that rock into the spider's web. Does that spider's web have any chance to hang on to that rock? No, not a chance. Not a chance. Anything that we bring is filthy rags. We cannot do it on our own. We need something else. Sounds a lot like what Pastor Steve was preaching two weeks ago. You are dead with no hope to come back unless a merciful God reaches down to the bottom of the ocean and pulls you back up. The prophet Isaiah said this in a vision. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For the eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He was a prophet. He had a relationship with God, yet in the presence of the Lord, he shrinks away. I don't deserve to be here. That is what sin does for us. Sin is the tear that separated us from God in the first place. Taking a bite of that fruit separated us from God. My favorite music artist, Beautiful Eulogy, said this in their song, The Size of Sin. Sipping from the glass of God's wrath and genuine justice, a just judge must summons for infinite punishment. We deserve a punishment. We deserve it because of our sin. God is a perfect and holy being who is incapable of being in the presence of sin. And so therefore, we don't deserve to be in relationship with him. He is a just judge. We go on to read. And when applying, we're undeniably liable. The smallest white lie is enough for being indictable. Smallest white lie. Anyone here ever told a small white lie? Probably. Probably. Right? That is enough to break us apart from God. We are undeniably liable. We are responsible. The size of sin so big, it causes a cosmic fraction. And hell is the only relevant response to righteous reaction. Again, everything we bring is filthy rags. We we can't meet this relationship. We, We don't measure up. And it is a cosmic fraction. Separates things completely. This is what our sinful actions actually earned us. The weight of sin is heavy. Luckily, we have an amazing God that offers redemption, offers a chance for us to be restored. We don't just sit here. We don't just sit here in it. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to share with them that in my first letter, I was a bit harsh. I was a bit harsh. This is what he says. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief 
produces a repentance. A repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We want to have that godly grief because what does it do? It leads us to a place where we can repent. That is what we want. So first we need to acknowledge the problem of sin, first thing. Second, we need to confess it. We need to lay it on the altar of the Lord and give it to him completely. For sin is an archery term. You pull back your bow, you let go, you miss the target. Sin. Now in actuality, are we even aiming at the target? Oftentimes we are aiming for our own desires, our own pleasures. We want to glorify ourselves, not God. Luckily, we have an amazing God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm aiming over here. He takes that target, puts it right in front of that arrow for me. It is only through him that we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I can't do it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. It is only through confessing that we can have true repentance. So repenting is first acknowledging there's that problem. Second, confessing. Third, if we go back to our definition, heartfelt sorrow, renouncing it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in the obedience of Christ. So it leads to a change in behavior to walk in obedience to Christ. Peter's goal isn't just to make them feel bad about what they did. Their goal is to encourage repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, I can view the challenge of fighting sin as climbing a ladder. We're reaching towards the next run. We're fighting against sin relying on Christ, and then I miss that run. I fall flat on my back. Maybe it was that person cut me off in traffic and I cursed that guy. Why is that, why is that something that we always go to? No idea why. That's something we always go to. Maybe it's I got upset at my daughter for not being quiet in that moment. She's three months, it's okay. I need to get better at that too. (laughs) But whatever it may be that brings us down, it's so easy to just get up and you go, what? You know what? I've sinned. I, I fell off that ladder. 
I'm just going to walk around down here for a bit. Let me stay in sin. Let me continue on sinning. I mean, I know in my head, like, God has given me grace. He's given me mercy. And so you know what? Why don't I just continue on sinning? Romans 6, 1, 2 speaks to this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we still live in it? We have a path forward. We have redemption. We have a way to restoration. Why would we return back to what has brought us down in the first place? Why would we return back to it? It is like a dog returning to its own vomit. When Saul is on his way to Damascus, he is actively persecuting Christians. He is dragging them from their homes, from their families, from their loved ones, and he is murdering them, putting them in jail, putting them in shackles. When the revelation hits him that he is actually pursuing Jesus Christ, complete life change. I think it would be a different story if Paul, Saul, had that and then decided to continue on living in his way. No, no. He's completely changed. I want us to be careful. There are those Christians who want to just have the grace, the happy feelings, the little butterflies inside your stomach, and they don't want to address their problem of sin. I'm sorry, that is what our faith is built on, that we are broken, that we are incapable of being in relationship with God. We have to address the problem of sin. And in order to do that, we need to be led towards repentance. So it is our hope that you would be led towards that, that you would be led towards repentance. tell you what, if I ever tried to stay that quiet in my classroom, my kids would just erupt. They, 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 the high schoolers need silence filled, so well done, guys. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, after repentance, what is it that Peter says to us? He says, repent therefore, and do what? And turn back. And turn back. That your sins may be blotted out. Turning back. It sounds a little cliche. You're in a conversation with someone. They're telling you about a hard time that they're going through. Oh, the advice you get. Uh, just turn to the Lord. How, how? How? What? Like, yes, they're right in saying that. I'm not saying that they're not. We should turn to the Lord. But what does that mean? It's so vague. Sometimes when I hear that, I think... What they mean is, you should try harder. You should pray more. You should read more. You should do better. That's not what turning to God is. I can't do that. I need to trust in the Lord. 
So if we go back to our verse, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins may be blotted out. If you imagine creditors and debitors, back in the day they would use wax tablets to record debts. They'd scratch them in the wax. And then when you go back and you pay that debt, it is smoothed away once that debt has been fulfilled. Uh, my mortgage recently got transferred, and it was an internal transfer. It was really weird. It was the same company. I, I didn't fully understand what was going on. Well, anyway, I put my bank account information in, and guess what? I missed one digit. One digit on my bank account information. So three months go by. Three months go by. haven't paid my mortgage. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That's how I felt. You're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, I figured out, oh, I missed a digit on my bank account information. All right, let's fix that. Then I go check my credit score. Ooh, that took a big hit. So after a few letters, a few phone calls, they're like, you know what? We're going to wipe this completely clean. And that's what Christ does for us. Wipes it completely clean. So turning back to God practically, what does that look like? Practically, what does it look like? Something practically that you can do to turn back to God is to pray. First sign of temptation, prayer. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Smith Wigglesworth. Man, that's a great name, Wigglesworth. I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at one time, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. Can we do that? Can we pray that consistently throughout the day? You're walking down the street, see a beautiful flower. God, thank you for putting beauty in the world. Thank you for that flower. Your daughter's crying in the other room. You're frustrated. God, I love her. Give me patience. Help me to get through this. The next thing we can do is chew on Scripture. Chew on Scripture. Scripture is the way that we are able to hear from God. In Ephesians 6, it is called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is our only offensive weapon against Satan and sin. So it must be within us. Cornerstone people, are we reading? Are we in the word? Are we growing in our faith and knowledge and understanding of who God is? Are we doing that? It's often said you are not ever standing still in your relationship with God. You are either going away or you're going towards him. Reading gets us there. What are ways that we can chew on this scripture? You know what? Rob, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. Well, you know what? I got a few practical ways. Most people probably have a phone of some kind. And you probably have a background on your phone, right? Well, on my phone, it's a picture of my daughter. And right there on her forehead, it says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. That is what I want for her. Every time I open up my phone, I see that verse. I'm able to pray that 
to read it, to chew on it. Friend Steve Peck, he's right back there. Give him a wave. He was downstairs earlier teaching. (laughs) He has this uh, time that he calls toilet time. You know, pretty much everyone here goes to the bathroom on a regular basis, right? I, I hope you are. If not, we got other issues to talk about. But every time he's on the can, pulls out scripture. There it is. He starts memorizing it. My man is a beast at memorizing scripture. He has it within his head, within his soul. Toilet time. And it's also done in community. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Earlier I had said, do I need to confess my sins? Well, yeah. Yes. Right here, we're told to confess your sins to one another. So we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We can give scripture to help you through this thing you're going through. We have amazing Bible studies, community groups, men and women's breakfasts. Get plugged in. Get accountability. And so, what is it we get now? What is it we get? Let's go back to our verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Mm. Times of refreshing. The phrase of refreshing is the Greek word anapsixis. It means... Properly, a recovery of breath, a revival, a recovery of breath. I'm reminded of my first soccer game. I was one of those kids that was like 100% all the time, full speed ahead, let's go. Ball's over there, I'm over there. Ball's over there, I'm over there. And throughout the game, got diagnosed with asthma. So I needed a recovery of breath. So we get an inhaler. That is what it's like. That is what we get. That is what you can experience. You can experience time of refreshing that comes from being in the presence of the Lord. So we've learned to repent. We've learned to turn back to God. And now the next stage within this is to now look forward. Look forward. Our verse again. That time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Time for restoring all things. 
Most scholars believe that this is talking about heaven. This is talking about the second coming. This is talking about when we are able to be in presence of the Lord. When there will be a time when the struggle with sin is over. There is this experiment psychologists would do on four-year-olds. Sounds cruel. It's not. They bring the four-year-old in the room, sit him in a chair, table in front of them, empty plate. A person would walk in and go, all right, here's a marshmallow. Put it on their plate. If you wait, if you wait, when I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. Don't eat that marshmallow. And so if you've ever seen the video of this happening, it is absolutely hysterical because you just see a bunch of four-year-olds staring at the marshmallow. Some are like picking it up, sniffing it, put it back down. Oh, no, I can't eat it. Put their hands under their bottoms. Some even go completely under the table. They don't want to see it at all. How much better is it that we get to look forward to heaven? So much better than a marshmallow. 1 John 3, 2 through 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like Christ. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is impure. Christ is the one that wipes away that sin. He restores us. And so we are then purified. It's not by my own works. It's not anything I have done. It is completely Christ. Completely Christ. If you do not know who Christ is and you have not accepted him, in your heart. I pray that this would be convicting, that you would have to come to the realization there is this problem with sin. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be in a relationship with God, and that can't be done with this problem. So how do I fix that? Repent, turn back, look forward. Repent, turn back, look forward. In the teaching community, we have something called exit tickets. So if y'all look under your chairs, I got little papers that you can fill out on the way out to make sure you learned everything. No, I'm kidding. Don't actually look under there. (laughs) But take that with you this week. Repent, turn back, look forward. If you do accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, Follow these things. Battle sin. Fight against it. Repent. Give it to the Lord. And then turn back and look at God. Don't focus on the vomit that is there on the floor. Turn and focus on a holy king. The one that is able to restore you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled. We're in desperate need of your mercy and your grace. 
It is only through your son that we can hope to be in a relationship with you. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins. Pray that we would do the next action step in that, and that we would be drawn to repentance, and that we would be actively turning back to look at you and look forward to the eternal hope that we have coming. God, we thank you so much for everything that you've put in your scriptures so we, we can read and understand who you are and your deep, deep, deep love that you have for us. Pray for the souls that do not yet know you. Pray that they reconcile with you, that they are drawn to you by accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. For those of us that are, we may continue fighting the good fight, continue battling, and for our relationship with you. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen.